All right, guys, uh, we are starting a new lesson this today, a new lesson series, I should say. And the lesson series that we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing a new series called Rekindling Your Desire for the Lord. And um, here's, here's this thing. We're going to talk today, and basically each week we're going to have a little bit of time where I'm sharing with you but we're also going to, at the end, break up in groups, we've done that before, and answer some questions. And so today there's going to be some three questions, all right? So we're going to talk today, so some of what we may, may talk about, you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. That's fine, it's okay, it's all right, but we're going to work through some things because there is a problem, okay? And we're going to talk today about the problem. There is a problem in churches today, all right? And it's not just like our, our church seems fine. No, no, we got to, we're part of the, we're in the problem too. Everybody's in the problem in North America, okay? I mean, I've been talking to pastors. Even as I leave the area and I talk to pastors, they're all facing the same thing, okay? They're all facing the same thing and they're wondering what to do about it. Well, Part of what we need to do about it is talk about our relationship with the Lord, okay? So we're going to look at this today. We're going to talk today about it's not the same anymore. Would everybody agree with that? Church is not the same anymore, okay? Well, I know why. No, no, we're not asking your opinion, okay, at this point, because there's actually a whole lot more going on than you realize, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about this whole issue of why it's not the same anymore. So let's talk, first of all, I've got it divided in a couple of sections. What happened to the church? That's what we're going to look at first. What happened to the church? So here's it's become noticeable that a shift has taken place in North American churches. It's become noticeable. What do you mean? Well, for instance, for me as a pastor, I... Uh, keep up on pastoral journals, church leadership sites, listening to podcasts from guys who, who are giving instructions or advice to pastors. And here, especially in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about, first of all, a noticeable decrease in the amount of people who are attending church. Number one, a noticeable decrease in the number of people volunteering, like helping out with children's programming, and then a noticeable difference in their commitment levels, period, to anything that has to do with church. There's been a noticeable difference. Have you seen that? Okay, everybody's, everybody's seen that, right? Okay. And so th at first, when it starts happening, you have, to, as a pastor, you start thinking, well, maybe there's something we're doing. Maybe there's something we've done wrong or different, or maybe there's people mad. Well, the problem is the decrease in attendance. You can't really, you know, sometimes that happens. You have a family that leaves and they go somewhere else. But the decrease in attendance really, most would say, and I've noticed, is not that they left the church. It's that they changed the frequency of how often they go to church. We'll talk about that in a moment, okay? So there's a noticeable shift that has taken place in North American churches, okay? 
That shift is evident in the attendance, the giving, and the level of volunteering from believers. We've already talked about that. So that shift is taking place. Most folks would say, oh, yeah. And it, we're seeing it in all areas. Okay? In all areas. Now, surprisingly, this shift is the result of a gradual, long-term decline in churches. Okay? This shift is a result of a gradual, long-term decline. So when you look at what's going on, everybody would say, like, what happened? It's not that it all of a sudden happened. It's been happening over the long haul. In fact, most would say it's been happening over the long haul for the last 20 or 30 years. Okay? 20 or 30 years. So we're seeing a shift that's taking place in our churches that's been gradually happening over the last 20 or 30 years. But then finally, at some point when the decline happens, everybody wakes up like out of a sleep and they're like, oh, what happened? Well, no, it just happened. It just slowly happened. It's been happening. We just haven't recognized it. Maybe we have, but we thought, oh, we could deal with it. And, and that shift has been taking place. Okay, gradual long-term shift. Okay, and then finally, we're going to talk about the results here of the decline. But before I go on, let me just say this. This shift, this decline, is only happening with one group of churches in North America. Who? You said it's everybody. Well, this group, this group is a major group in the U.S., but there are other groups that are actually experiencing growth and planting churches. Would anybody like to know which group it is that's declining and which group is not declining, is actually growing? Anybody like to know that? All right, Bruce would say yes. Everybody else is like, I haven't had enough coffee yet, George. Okay, the, the group that is declining among is white evangelical churches. White evangelical churches. Okay? The churches that are growing are immigrant churches. Chinese, Laotian, Filipino, Mexican, African American. In fact, I just recently was listening to the president of the Southern Baptist Convention he says they have a huge church planning movement going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm like, well, where? In spite of all the African-American churches. So for some reason, among white churches, white, and would you say we're a white church? Yeah, you'd have to admit that, right? Okay. You know what I'm saying? We might be a different shade of white in here depending on how long you were in the sun. Do you know what I'm saying? But uh, the fact of the matter is, is we're part of the major group, and that's why it seems like Christianity is on the decline, but the fact of the matter, it isn't. So, like, for instance, everybody, my daughter Madison, okay? Maddie is in Dallas, which is like the buckle of the Bible belt, right? But she goes to a Filipino church. She tells me, Dad, they're alive. They're really committed. What, what, what everybody else is struggling with, they're not struggling with. So I've been asking her questions like, well, what do they do? 
what, 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 what can I learn? And you know what they do? They're not doing anything different than we are. It's that their desire for something is greater than ours. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their desire. They're not distracted by things. So here's the results of the decline, all right? Regular church attendance has shifted from two times a month to less than two. It used to be if you said to somebody that they were a regular attender, okay, they would probably have been in that church at least two times that month. That's half the time, okay? Half the time of the month. Typically, you would say you were probably there three times, but at least two, okay? Now, if you tell somebody that you are a regular attender, that probably means that you've showed up less than two. Which What's less than two, folks? One, okay? If People will say, I show up to church one time a month. I'm a regular attender. So that shift has taken place. So that's one of the results that's going on here is that regular attendance has shifted from two times a month to less than two. In fact, a lot of times pastors now would used to say, I hate this question, but how many are you running is the question, meaning how many are coming to church? And typically pastors would respond, well, I have this many people each week. Now it's not uncommon for pastors to say to each other, I have this many people coming in a month, this many different people coming in a month. What's changed? Because they can't predict how many people are going to be there on a Sunday. So they look at who's coming in the month. Isn't that odd? But that's the way it is now. Okay. Here's the second one. There is there are far more distractions to draw people away from church on Sunday morning. Would everybody agree with that one? Okay. I remember when I first came to the community, I was interacting with some of the pastors over lunch and they were complaining about uh, Little League. Well, Little League game. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest with you. All of our families are not going to Little League. Okay. There are some. But there are other things that are distractions on Sunday morning now. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot more distractions that are taking place to draw people away on Sunday morning. And what that reveals is, is the fact that they're drawn away, it reveals that something is a greater what? Priority than going and being with folks on Sunday morning. Do you understand? Than being with folks on Sunday morning. So there are far more distractions to draw people away from the church on Sunday mornings. Here we go. People are substituting church with the abundance of preaching available on television, radio, and internet. Like, well, you know what? I don't need to go there this week because I can listen to George on WCPA at 9.30. And I, you know what? I remember when I was helping out a living bread, I had a lady come and say to me, I don't, I listen to you every Sunday morning, but I'm late going to my church. And I told my pastor, I was listening to Pastor Cannon. And I felt bad because I know her pastor. I wanted to say to her, forget listening to me, go to your church. You can, I'm not a substitute. Did you understand what I'm saying? And the guy you're listening to isn't going to be there when you're in the hospital. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or isn't going to be there when you need somebody to talk to. He doesn't know what's going on in your life. 
But what we do is, is oh, I'm listening to so-and-so on the radio. Well, you got to be careful. So what's happened is, is people are substituting church. Because I'm going to be honest with you folks, church is more than just George. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church is more than just some preacher. Church is more than just a sermon. Okay? Results is people are substituting church with an abundance of preaching through television, radio, the internet. Personal spirituality has shifted from to a spectator mentality based on convenience. So when you talk about personal spirituality, that's your walk with God, it's no longer an involvement between you and the Lord on a daily basis. It's now become, what do I listen to or attend? What I listen to or attend, it's a spectator mentality. It has nothing to do with your personal interaction. Think about that for a moment, folks. In your relationships with your spouse or with your family members, if your relationship with your spouse and family members were based on a spectator mentality rather than a personal interaction, how far would that relationship go? There would be no relationship. Did you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? So it's become an issue of convenience. Oh, you know, Roy, I'm going to hang out with you today because it's convenient. That wouldn't go far, would it? Okay? That wouldn't go far. So, here's the scoop. Church has become a service to attend and an obligation to fulfill. Church has become a service to attend and an obligation to fulfill. What do you mean an obligation? Well, for some, some of you folks were raised in a Christian home where you were taught that you needed to be at church, right? How many of you were taught that when you were growing up, okay? And whether you know it or not, on Sunday morning, it doesn't feel right not to be in church sometimes. And the reason why is because it was ingrained in you. Some of you, it was beat into you, okay? Yeah, my mama beat me about getting out of bed, you know? All right. But here's the thing. So what ends up happening is, is church becomes the obligation that you have to fulfill so you feel good about yourself. Or church is just simply coming to the service and then you leave immediately. Because you, just the service. It's not the people, it's just the service. Okay? So this is what I want you to see about what's happened to the church. The next thing I want to focus on here when we talk about it's not the same anymore is I want to talk about the diminished impact of the church. Okay? Diminished impact. Now, some of you are old enough to be, you've been around a lot longer, you can remember when church had some sort of role in the community. Maybe it wasn't the church you attended, but there were other churches that had some sort of role and they had some sort of impact in the, in the community. And that would go back to maybe 30, 40, 50, even 60 years ago. Okay? That's not true anymore. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah. Before, it used to be somebody would say, well, I got to find a church because that gives me some status with my corporation or my work or whatever, my membership there. But that's not even true anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody's, you go to church. So let's talk about that, the diminished impact. Okay? Diminished impact. First of all, the declining church is also marked by having a diminished impact in the community. Nobody really cares about your church 
or what the church is doing. Now you would say, well, that's not what I'm seeing when I'm looking at Christian world. They talk about, oh, we did this for the community, and we did this for the community, and we did that for the community. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest with you, the community doesn't care. The community doesn't care. They're not impacted by that. You know what I'm saying? They won't really care. And can I be honest with you, have you noticed, and I'm all for community involvement, but have you noticed that being doing community stuff doesn't necessarily help the church? Okay? It doesn't help the church. Maybe gives us a sense of purpose because we've lost our purpose, but it doesn't help the church. So the declining church is marked by having a diminished impact in the community. So Here's what I want you to see. Here's the five dominant social-slash-cultural influences that are affecting us and affecting how the community looks at us. Here are five things that are going on. And if we, we're going to take one at a time, and you're going to see, yeah, you're right, that is, that is affecting how everybody views the church or even how people in the church are viewing the church, okay? So here they are. Here's the first one. Political polarization. Yeah, that's especially true right now since since Donald Trump got elected. Boy, that's just all the church... No, 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 this goes back, can I be honest with you, back to the 60s. Maybe even going back to the 50s. The politi political polarization has been happening in the church for at least 50 or 60 years. It goes back to the 50s when mainline churches began to adopt a social gospel platform. Do you understand what I mean by social gospel, folks? Where they felt like meeting the needs in the community were important. So they began to head in that direction, and so they began, mainline churches began to shift to the left of politics. Go back to the 60s and the radical nature of the 60s, okay? I don't remember that because I was a kid, I was a baby and all that, but some of you remember the 60s. And you remember the radical free love world, protesting, hippie movement and everything. And evangelical Bible-believing churches began to react towards that low morality that was being propagated. And they began to shift towards the left. So in the 70s, you had the emergence of uh, the old-time gospel hour. by Hosted by who, folks? Jerry Falwell. And the what? Moral majority. That was during the 70s. What was that a reaction to? That was a reaction to what was happening in our culture. And so you begin to see a shift happening where you're either on the left or you're either on the right. And so we've learned to exist with that up until now. Because now we have Donald Trump. Now, I'm not here to talk about Donald Trump. I'm just saying Donald Trump brought it all to the forefront. And what has happened now is, is that in our world today, because our world is so divided in the U.S. world, people either see the church as being on one side or the other. And predominantly they see evangelical white churches as being on the right. They don't see that because here's the thing. There are, just so you know, evangelical black churches aren't on the right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I want you to see is five dominant social influences, okay, 
The church has become a political pawn for either the right or the left. Here's the other one. The sexual revolution goes all the way back to the 60s, right, folks? goes back to the 60s, sexual revolution, the age of free love. And with the age of free love, we know that the biblical ethic of sex is seen as unrealistic and out of touch to most. Is that not true? Even in the church today, we have folks who basically say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but that's just unrealistic. Or that's really out of touch with where the modern world is. Okay? Sexual revolution. Everybody agree with that one? Okay, here we go. Here's the next one. Globalization and modern communication. Globalization and modern communication. This is this has made Christianity appear as a Western religion and compliant in the historic sins of the past. What do you mean the historic sins of the past? Slavery, colonialization of the third world, a lot of different labor issues. It goes on and on. There's a lot of sins that have happened in the past and the church has just seemed as been compliant because the church didn't have a voice or the church didn't address it the way people think they should address it today. And so that has created a problem. The modern communication issue, what do you mean? Well, we've got the internet. We didn't have the internet 40 years ago, did we? We didn't have cell phones. We had one phone in the kitchen with a 10-foot or 20-foot cord that you could drag all the way with you to go sit in your easy chair. Just make your easy chair in the living room. Remember that? And when the remote phones came, we thought, wow, wasn't that wonderful? We got a hands-free phone here. That's what your thought was. But now, that has created a influence that's affecting the church negatively. All right, here's the next one. Rising prosperity in the West. Rising prosperity. I, I, you might say, well, now we're struggling. We're really having a hard time. That's not true. Our, our country is not the way it used to be. Really? You have forgotten. Because some of you can remember when your family didn't even have a TV. Or if it had a TV, it was black and white. And the special people down the road got a color one. Wow, what does that look like? And then the whole concept of a TV in every room wouldn't even enter even into your mind. And going out to eat, that was a luxury. You ate at home, and you ate what they put in front of you. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And, and so we're actually doing a whole lot better than we realize if we would just remember for a moment. But the fact is, here's what's happened, is, is that the rising prosperity in the West, what has it done? Wealth and prosperity have effectively insulated people from a need for rescue and hope. You don't need God. You can take care of it yourself. I mean, we live in a, here's the thing, we're, people are starting to realize about the credit card thing, but do you remember back in the early 70s? I know this. I remember a time when my parents couldn't even get a credit card yet. Did you understand what I'm saying? A lot of folks didn't have credit cards. You paid with what, folks? Cash. Did you understand what I'm saying? And But now, everybody, I mean, when my kids turn 18, the first thing that I know, like when you're when you're, when you turn 50, 
AARP sends you a letter, right? You know you've hit 50 when they, you know your kids turned 18 when the credit card applications show up. Right? Alright? So, globalization, rising prosperity in the West. Here's the thing. Final one. These combined have influenced the educated and the affluent, that is the gatekeepers of the community. So all of those factors have influenced the educated and the affluent who used to see a purpose in church. But now they don't see a purpose in church. If you look at most of the affluent and educated in our community, they don't go to church, have no need for church, see no need for church. Okay? So those are five dominant social cultural influences. So, okay, the results in Bible-believing churches. Here's what's happened because of these influences in our community and what's going on. Here's the results. Number one, believers are, are only showing up once or twice a month to fulfill their obligation to the church. We already know that. Believers are only showing up once. Okay? Here's number two. Attendance in North American churches has dropped 30 to 40 percent. We've seen that. Okay? 30 to 40 percent. Only 25% of those attending church take part in a small group Bible study or in Sunday school. So when they do show up, it's only for church, but they don't take part in like a Bible study or anything outside of church. All right? Those who attend are distracted by life and are not really paying attention to God's word. So when they do come, here's what's happening. They're so overwhelmed by whatever else is going on in their life that they're just here, but they're not here. Did you know what I'm saying? I've, I've done that. But that's happening a lot. Okay? That's happening a lot. So, the primary, the priority of most people is a focus on one's comfort, pleasure, and ease. So that's how you judge church. You judge church by how well is the music program? How well is the preacher's preaching? And if those aren't the right where they should be, then I need to find somewhere it is. And so what we have is, is actually we've got a culture now of Christians who are basically church hoppers. And I have met folks who attend Sunday school in one church, drive across town, and attend the service and the other church because the Sunday school program they like it there but man that preacher over there I really like his message and then that's been going on for years I saw that back when I was a young man 30 years ago in college I saw that kids going over here going over here going here and and that's what's going on there's there's a priority where the focus isn't on the greater good of everybody else the focus is on what can I get out of it okay what can I get out of it? All right. Now, here's the problem with all that. There's a drift towards apostasy. Now, this is especially coming up here recently because there was another one well-known pastor who was a book writer uh, who has, quote, embraced, quote, come out and said he is no longer believing and apologized to the LGBTQ community for his teaching. Another guy who writes some of the worship music, and I, maybe we even sing some of the songs that he's had an influence on, he's come out and said he's struggling with the same thing. He's now since backtracked and said he's not gone totally 
I think he got some flack. Well, if you're making your money off the church, you don't want to tell the church you don't believe anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's this shift to apostasy. Well, apostasy is basically leaving the faith. Now, I'm not going to get into the theological questions about, well, how's that possible with eternal security? I believe in eternal security, but I believe there are people who walk away from the faith. How do you know that? Parable of the sower. There are people who receive, but then maybe because of the trials and stuff, they're choked out or because of materialism. You say, well, they're not saved. Yes, that would be the theological way to approach it. But the fact is, is the Bible describes what they're doing as apostasy. Okay? Apostasy. And that is a danger for everyone. Okay? A danger for everyone. So here's what I want you to see. Okay? Here's the drift towards apostasy. All right, so first of all, the evidence of the shift is a growing number of people who are embracing apostasy. They're not, they're basically saying they don't need to believe anymore. One guy, the guy who is the writer of songs said, I actually feel good about myself. I'm actually at peace making this decision. Really? That's interesting. How do you get there? Well, here's the shift, here's the drift. Here's the fertile ground for apostasy. Here's what happens that gets you to this place, okay? Number one, a simplistic faith that has not matured to handle difficult questions. Usually when you talk about somebody who's decided that they are walking away, they always bring up the same questions. At first, I was like, man, where did these questions, these, they all have the same questions. And they, all, and, and they seem like I have the answer to that, but for some reason, they can't see it. And the reason why is because their faith was so simplistic that it hadn't matured enough to be able to answer questions that are hard. Okay? Questions that are hard. We can talk about those, what those questions are later. Here's the other one. Unconfessed, buried sin gradually destroyed personal faith. D.A. Carson, who is a well-known theologian who's written many books uh, I have a lot of his books in my thing. He says the whole issue of apostasy, he usually just asks the frank question of somebody who's deciding they're going to walk away from the faith. Who are you sleeping with? Who are you sleeping with? Well, you say, that, what in the world has that got to do with anything? Well, if you are married and you've decided to walk away from the faith, you've obviously decided that faith is constraining you. Who are you wanting to sleep with or whatever? Because you want to throw off those shackles. See, unconfessed buried sin gradually destroys personal faith. Gradually destroys personal faith in those people. Okay? Here's the f next one. The means of grace, prayer and Bible, were ignored. Here's what I want you to understand. You want to know how you can continue to grow in your faith and your relationship with Christ? You adopt the means of grace that God has given you. What is the means of grace? Well, one of the means of grace that he's given you is prayer. Simply being able to talk to him. The other means of grace is Bible. Getting God's word in your life and allowing God to speak to you. If you are eliminating those from your life, you're going to drift. You understand? You're going to drift. That's the fertile ground of apostasy so that one day you just wake up and you decide, huh, I don't need this. I don't need this. And some, and a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people are doing that. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about what the solution is.
Wow, this has been a heavy lesson, George. Well, yeah, it is. But what I want to do right now is I want to break up into groups for a few moments, and I want you to talk about these three questions. Number one, I want you guys to talk about, between yourselves, what is your assessment of what's happening in the church? Okay? Number two, how has the social, cultural influences affected you? So I mentioned those five. How's that affected you? They've got to have an effect on you, all right? And then number three, how can you guard against drifting into apostasy? Okay? I've talked about the fertile ground that kind of leads us in that direction. How can you guard against it? Okay? 